Hello and welcome. You're listening to Epic Podcast, Emergency Preparedness in Canada. My name is Joshua. And I'm Grayson. And this is EP Week 2020, episode number one, Twister, a whirlwind of knowledge. In this episode, we will be having a very in-depth chat about the weather, or more specifically, about tornadoes. What are they? How can you prepare? And what mistakes might you or your organization be making that put you at risk? We'll hear from Environment and Climate Change Canada meteorologist and tornado expert, Kyle Fougere, who gives us a masterclass on this common and often misunderstood hazard. All this and more on this episode of Epic Podcast, Current, Relevant, Canadian. If you're in or around the field of disaster management at all, you've almost certainly dealt with a tornado planning scenario. And even if you haven't responded to one directly, tornadoes are common hazards in Canada. However, after listening to this episode uh, and this interview, I realized there are several things that have changed in how meteorologists study and respond to these events. Mm-hmm. And tornadoes are so unique. They're, they're also one of these examples of a hazard that you can actually effectively and specifically prepare for and dramatically increase your chances of survival. On the flip side, they're also a hazard that punishes mistakes, and there are some easy ones to make. So please listen carefully to this interview with Kyle Fougere, recorded at the end of 2019, so he'll say this year, uh, that refers to 2019, uh, and try to pick out the things that you or your organization might need to improve in preparing for tornadoes. So my name is Kyle Fougere. I'm a meteorologist with Environment and Climate Change Canada. I work at the Weather Office in Edmonton, which is the weather office that provides the forecasts, watches, and warnings for the province of Alberta, including the tornado warnings. Kyle, thank you so much for joining us for this epic interview. I'm wondering if I could start off simply by asking, what is a tornado? Uh, How do we talk about tornadoes in emergency management? And what are the sort of types and characteristics? Yeah, happy to. So a, a tornado is a violently rotating column of air that's in contact with the ground and the cloud above. Uh, And so, you know, one myth is that um, a tornado isn't necessarily always fully condensed right to the surface. Uh, Sometimes you'll see a ground circulation, but it won't necessarily extend all the way up to the top. So the main point is it's it's a violently rotating column of air, uh, but it has to be caused from the cloud above it. So there are a couple different types of, of tornadoes. One is a water spout, which is really just a tornado over water. Uh, there are two types that are common that are not tornadoes that we hear about. One is a gustnado, which is really it's a, a vortex that spins up on the leading edge of a strong area of winds. Um, so because it's not caused by the clouds above it, it's not a tornado. Uh, same with the dust devil. It's another vortex that occurs in nature, but because it's not created from the developing clouds above it, it's not a tornado. So that's the main thing is it's, you know, we have violently rotating air, uh, but it has to be you know, created from the cloud above it for it to be a tornado. That makes sense. And what types of tornado proper are there? So there's two main types of tornadoes that we commonly uh, that we commonly look at. One is called a landspout tornado. And so it's a weaker type of tornado. Uh, it typically has wind speeds that are less than 130 kilometers an hour, but on rare occasions they can be uh, a bit stronger and damaging. Uh, these form when you have a wind shift at the surface, when you have this wind shift, you have rotating air uh, at the surface. Because the atmosphere is a fluid, it's kind of like if you have a fast stream uh, moving right next to a calmer pool of water mm. and you get little eddies. It's the same thing in the atmosphere, and you can't see them normally. But when you have developing thunderstorms above that, 
they can stretch that rotation and create a tornado. So the problem with these is that uh, it's virtually impossible for us to provide any advance warning for a landspout tornado. Uh, there's usually no radar signature for us to see. A lot of times we only find about them after they happen. Uh, thankfully, they are very short-lived typically, uh, and they don't do a lot of damage uh, usually. But this year we actually had one that hit Hanmore Lake, uh, and it was rated an EF2 tornado, and it did a fair amount of damage. So uh, they're definitely something to be aware of but they tend to be weaker than the other type of tornado that we commonly see. Okay, what's the other type of tornado? So, the one that people typically think of when they see it, when they think of a tornado is a supercell tornado. So, a supercell thunderstorm is a thunderstorm that has a rotating updraft. So, the entire storm is rotating, uh, and these can form the stronger tornadoes. Uh, almost every supercell thunderstorm has severe weather associated with it because the rotation just gives you extra lift that tends to generate a lot of large hail, uh, and they tend to have strong winds with them. So they're very strong storms, and only about 10 to 15% of supercells will actually spawn a tornado. So if the entire thunderstorm is rotating, those are the ones that create the strong tornadoes, but not every supercell thunderstorm will create a tornado. Uh, our job at Environment Canada is to identify these supercell thunderstorms and figure out which ones are going to create severe weather, and then which ones are actually going to create a tornado, and then to tornado warn those ones. So those supercell, more predictable tornadoes, what do those look like? What sort of wind speeds or uh, path lengths could we expect out of some of those? So when we, we talk about the typical tornado in Alberta, um, we tend to have wind speeds at the lower end would be 90 kilometers an hour. That's where we first start to see visible damage from wind speeds. Uh, but on the highest end of the scale for an EF5 tornado, wind speeds of over 315 kilometers per hour are possible. That would be an EF5 tornado. Uh, when we have a tornado, they can vary hugely in size. Uh, the average width is probably about 250 meters for a tornado, but it can range from as small as 2 meters to over 2 kilometers. Uh, the largest ever tornado was 4 kilometers wide, which was uh, near El Reno in Oklahoma. They typically have a path length of about 10 kilometers but uh, especially landspout tornadoes will have a much shorter uh, length of uh, path length, which can be from 50 meters. But on the high end of scale, like say the Edmonton tornado, it had a path length of over 100 kilometers. Uh, the typical tornado will last less than 10 minutes, which uh, even supercell tornadoes, a lot of times they do last less than 10 minutes. Landspouts will almost always be very short-lived. On the high end of the scale, something like the Edmonton tornado was in contact with the ground for over 90 minutes. So, you know, we tend to have larger tornadoes. They can, the EF3 to EF5 tornadoes are the ones that um, would be a supercell thunderstorm. So you've mentioned this EF rating a couple times. What is that and uh, where is it actually used with either predicting or rating tornadoes? So when we rate a tornado, we use the enhanced Fujita scale. So the EF scale is, um, it was developed by wind engineers. Uh, Dr. Fujita was the first one. And so he looked at the damage that had been done by tornadoes, and then he figured out what kind of wind speed would be necessary to make that damage. So, you know, we, we then developed a, a system with that. That was called the Fujita scale, and that's what tornadoes were rated with up till about 2011. Then wind engineers developed on that, and, and they found that there were some improvements that could be made. So they called it the enhanced Fujita scale. And what it is, it's really a damage scale. So when we have a tornado, we can't, while it's occurring, we can't figure out what type of wind speeds it has with it. So we have to wait and look at what damage it does and then try to use that damage to figure out what the actual wind speed was. 
So what we have with the enhanced Fujita scale is we have a number of damage indicators. And so once we, if we have, say, a barn that's destroyed, we'll look at the damage indicator for barn and see what kind of wind damage would have been with it. Uh, one of the most common ones that people are aware of is a family home. So when we look at that, uh, so the threshold for when you'd first see damage would be at about 90 kilometers an hour. That's when you'd have siding off, have loosened shingles. That would be in the about 90 kilometers an hour to about 105. Um, after that, once you start seeing broken doors, um, when you have a lot of the roof deck gone, that's about an EF1 tornado. When you have most of the roof gone, uh, but most walls are still there, that's an EF2. Once you have most walls gone and only an interior room standing, that's more like an EF3. Uh, if you have all of the walls gone, basically total destruction of the house, that would be an EF4. And if you have you know, total destruction, everything gone, um, the debris pulled out of the basement, that's what we would see with an EF5 tornado. So it truly is kind of a post-incident assessment tool, uh, not necessarily a, a hazard assessment tool. I mean, would it be useful in the case where a, a large tornado rips through a field where there aren't any buildings? <laughs> so that's where we have uh, the shortfall in our system. Um, you can have very large tornadoes that are long-tracked, but if they don't hit anything, then it's impossible for us to give it a rating higher than EF0. Um, and we see this in Alberta. You know, we see, we get pictures of these very large tornadoes and, you know, we don't get any reports of damage with them. And so for us, they'll be rated in EF0. Uh, most of the public won't hear about it, but we know this was a near miss. You know, this was a big tornado that could have had really high impact had it hit something, but it didn't. Uh, it's, and it's common to happen. We see it a lot in uh, northern Alberta where we have a lot, really low population density. Uh, we had a couple this year where we didn't get any reports of tornadoes. And then, you know, a week or two after looking at high-resolution satellite imagery, we found these big swaths of trees that were down. And, you know, this damage was, you know, a kilometer wide, uh, you know, a 10, about 10 kilometers long. And no reports for it. Um, no one was injured, thankfully. But we know there was a strong tornado that occurred there. We don't know how strong it was uh, because it didn't hit anything other than the trees. So, um, if you you know, one of the damage indicators is trees. And if it does total destruction to a large swath of trees, we can rate it as high as an EF2 tornado, which we did for two of them in the northern Alberta this year. But... Uh, I mean, who knows what the actual wind speed was in these storms. And so those, those pictures that you get of a large tornado, are they, are they useful at all? Is size a good indicator of intensity? Size is not necessarily a good indicator. Um, you know, our, our, the only F5 that we've had recorded in Canadian history was in Eli, Manitoba. It was actually a pretty skinny tornado. It just had really strong wind speeds with it. Uh, there have been other tornadoes that were really large that have only been rated you know, EF2, EF3, there was one pipestone in Manitoba that was just an enormous tornado, and it kicked up all sorts of dirt, uh, but it didn't hit much, so I believe it was only rated, I think it ended up being rated in EF3, but when you look at the videos of it, my goodness, this was a powerful, powerful storm. So it likely higher, there have been a lot of them in, in you know, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, that we've seen that these long tracks, you know, really powerful tornadoes, just, we can't rate them low, so... We know that um, if, like if, if the higher relative humidity in the atmosphere, if it's really high, then sometimes you can get tornadoes that are pretty big, but they aren't necessarily as strong. So there's not a direct correlation between the size and the strength. Uh, and even you know, when, if you have a, a large, strong tornado, the strength and what we actually you know, rated in, in, with the EF scale isn't necessarily totally correlated because it has to hit something. So 
makes it very difficult. So it really is a vulnerability-based scale, not necessarily a a hazard-based scale. So as tornadoes apply to Canada, what is the risk relationship there? What areas are at risk? Uh, Are there tornado seasons? How can you uh, talk about risk for tornadoes as an emergency manager? So, you know, it's very important for people to be aware, you know, what areas we do have more tornadoes. Uh, And, you know, Canada is the second, is the country with the second highest amount of tornado reports in the world. Uh, We average 61 tornado reports per year, which is second only behind the United States. Uh, But they get over 1,200 per year, so they're on a whole other level from us. Um, The two main areas where we tend to have the highest reports are in southern Ontario and on the prairies. And 43 of those 61 reports a year tend to come from the prairies. Um, so it's, it's very important for us, especially living in, in Alberta, to be aware of that this is a tornado-prone area. Uh, Alberta itself will receive 12 to 15 tornadoes on average per year. This year we actually had a, a fairly active season. We've had 23 reports so far um, this year. And that's you know above average we haven't had that many since i believe the year 2000 so so 2019 was a higher than average year but the thing is it only takes one uh you know we do get these reports and i think at environment canada we get these reports and we're really aware of it but i'm not sure that everyone is aware that we're so tornado prone in alberta i think you're right Uh, i mean tornadoes um definitely get a lot of attention but it sounds like there's a lot of uh, tornadoes that happen in unpopulated areas are those reported or are those part of the numbers that get recorded so that's the thing we these are the reports that we get and we know that we don't get as many reports when you look at the data for tornadoes you can see that they, the data follows the highway which we know is not meteorological it's just that's where the people are traveling that's where they tend to get the reports um, we we do see a lot of tornadoes that are in low population density areas uh, we get storms moving through the area that look like they're producing a tornado, but we never get reports. Uh, and so we know we, we probably have quite a few more tornadoes than are reported. There was actually a study done the, out of the University of Western Ontario, uh, and they used lightning density, uh, and, and then they correlated that with tornado reports. And then they, they tried to figure out how many tornado reports based on lightning density would we have if all of them were reported. And they estimate that we receive probably less than 40% of tornado reports. So, you know, that's what we have to take this with a grain of salt. We say on average 12 to 15 tornado reports. But, I mean, it's likely that we have many more tornadoes than that in Alberta, just we don't get them reported because they don't hit anything and nobody sees them. Interesting. So we could be getting double the number of tornadoes that are actually reported. Uh, is there anything about the time of year that we, we can start predicting uh, tornado frequency or intensity? We know the summer is our peak season. Um, there have been tornado reports in Alberta as early as February, and as late as October, but generally from the end of May to August is our peak season. Um, it's Typically July is the, the month where you're most likely to see a tornado. Uh, and then when it comes to time of day, it's typically in the early evening. Uh, it, it can be as early as, uh, you know, noon when you, a lot of times when you see these lance boat tornadoes. For supercell tornadoes, it tends to be the late afternoon into the evening. Sometimes it can be pretty late at night. Uh, we had a, an F3 tornado in Holden in 1993 that formed at 9.45 p.m. and lasted until after 10 p.m. Uh, there was a, rep- a tornado in 2019 that was uh, it formed at 10.15 at night. And then, you know, look, look at the Edmonton tornado. It formed at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. So although the early evening is the most likely time, 
typically around 6 p.m. is the, the peak. Uh, it can be from the early afternoon into the late evening for the most part. Certainly, they come in all different uh, shapes and sizes. What about numbers? Are tornadoes usually uh, solo, or do they come in batches? What, what do you call a group of tornadoes? So we, you can see families of tornadoes. So there are often, it's almost more likely to have more tornadoes in a day than it is to have just one. Hmm. Sometimes in, if it's just a landspout day, you will see the odd tornado. But whether it's landspouts or supercell tornadoes, if you have the conditions for one tornado, usually they're there for multiple tornadoes. So, uh, for example, if we have you know, a, a trough of low pressure in the province, sometimes you can see multiple landspouts form on them. Uh, or when we look at supercells, you'll have uh, an environment that's ripe for supercells all across the foothills. They form and they move east. One supercell can produce multiple tornadoes. Uh, you know, it's been reported that they've had over 10 from one supercell. Uh, there was one this year that produced at least four in, uh, in, in central Alberta. But then you have multiple supercells in the same day. So you have one that's producing multiple, and then you have another one further south that's producing multiple. So uh, a lot of times you can have, you know, I've worked events that have had nine tornadoes in a day. Um, it's, it's not that uncommon to see multiple in the same day. So if a tornado has formed and is coming towards you, what sort of things might you expect to see, hear, feel? Uh, what are the physical attributes of a tornado? Well, uh, I mean, when we think of it in Alberta, so if it's a landspout tornado, a lot of times it'll it'll form, you know, right in front of you, and it'll dissipate within uh, less than 10 minutes. Uh, that's the typical landspout evolution. They don't tend to move that far. Uh, they don't tend to last very long, and they don't have a very long track. But when we talk about supercells, a lot of times, I mean, a supercell is, it can be very hard to miss. Uh, they are very foreboding thunderstorms. They, a lot of times, they're very dark. Uh, light has trouble penetrating them. Um, they can be green. Um, but although it is a myth that a green sky means that there is going to be a tornado. Oh, really? But a lot of times, these, these supercells will have uh, green skies associated with it because they have such large hail in them. Uh, and, you know, the common movement is for them to be from west to east. Uh, so when you see, a lot of times you would see a, a thunderstorm associated or coming towards you from the west, it would be rotating. Uh, and then underneath it, you would have this lowering that we call a wall cloud that would be rotating. Uh, when we talk about rotation, a lot of, thing, a lot of times people will see uh, rotation around a horizontal axis. So basically it's lift in the front and then descending in the back. That's not really the rotation we look for. We look for it around a vertical axis. So it would be kind of left to right motion and then also rising. Uh, that's what we would typically see uh, with a supercell thunderstorm that would be have the potential to produce a tornado. You mentioned that green sky myth. Are there any other myths that go along with tornadoes? Any other misinformation out there that you'd like to correct? Yeah, we there are quite a few. And you know, whenever we get the chance, we like to try to dispel these myths. Uh, one of the most common ones is that uh, a particular area is safe from a tornado. Now, whether it's, you know, there people feel like they're downtown or there's a hill that blocks it. These supercell thunderstorms have rotation that extends tens of thousands of feet in the sky. The, the actual you know, surface of the earth doesn't really impact the formation of a tornado very much. So tornadoes, they can cross rivers, they can hit downtowns in cities, they can move over hills, and they can form on cooler days. It's another one we, find, we commonly see in Alberta. I think because the Edmonton tornado was, it came at the end of uh, several warm days, it was very humid, that's what people typically expect. And it's true, those are the, the prime conditions for the worst supercell tornadoes. But, you know, we've had 
tornadoes on days that are, you know, 12 to 15 degrees Celsius. It's the difference in temperature between the surface and the atmosphere that really makes it. So they can form on cooler days. Other myths, uh, tornadoes can hit the same place twice. Uh, you know, I, I drove down a street in Moore, Oklahoma, that has been hit by two F5 tornadoes on the same street. Uh, there have been places that have been hit by a tornado twice on the same day. So that's definitely another myth. Um, as you mentioned, the size isn't necessarily related to the intensity. Uh, you know, we had the, the strongest tornado we've had in Canadian history was quite skinny, um, that being the Eli Manitoba F5 tornado. One for public safety uh, that we commonly see is the hiding under an overpass. And this, this came about from a video that was in about 1991. There were a group of people that were, they were trying to outrun a tornado, but it was catching them. So they pulled over and they took shelter under an overpass. Uh, and this overpass had, um, it had some beams at the top that they were able to, to, to hide in. And the tornado basically made a direct hit with them and they survived. Now, that is not what we want people to do in the event of a tornado. Um, there is uh, an effect called the, the Venturi effect, which in fluid dynamics, if you take a fluid and you push it through a small space, the speed increases. And that's what would actually happen under an overpass, is that you would have higher wind speeds there than you would in the surrounding areas. So it's actually a more dangerous place to go. Also, uh, most overpasses don't have those beams that the people were, that were, they were hiding in. So um, you have higher wind speeds, you don't have as protected an area, and there have been several people that have been killed while trying to hide under an underpass or under an overpass. It also blocks traffic in the area, so you can't have emergency management crew get through. So we always tell people never, never stop in a, under an overpass, uh, even if you're trying to avoid hail. It's just a really bad idea. Uh, and then the final one, uh, one that was, it's kind of an older one. There used to be this theory that um, a house would explode due to the pressure difference with the tornado. And so people would open up their windows as the tornado was approaching uh, to make sure that they didn't have this pressure differential. But that's not the reality of it. It's, you know, a lot of times the, the wind speed and the suction from the tornado that destroys the home. Uh, so we tell people not to waste the time trying to open up your windows. Uh, just, you know, take the time to protect yourself and your family. And really, if a tornado approaches, it'll open up the windows for you. What about tornadoes being attracted to mobile homes? Surely that's not a myth. That is another good one. I'm glad you brought that up, Grayson. It, uh, you do see a disproportionate amount of deaths in mobile homes, and especially in the, the, the southeastern parts of the United States where they do get a lot of tornadoes. They hit a lot of mobile homes because you, just, you have more in that part of the world. The problem with mobile homes is that an EF2 tornado on a scale from zero to five, an EF2 tornado is at the lower end of the scale, but it will obliterate uh, a mobile home. And so they're just, they're not constructed as well as other buildings. And so for that reason, uh, they can be tossed and destroyed fairly easily. So that's why there's a disproportionate amount of deaths from the mobile homes. The Edmonton tornado, it, uh, it did do, it killed 15 people in the mobile home park just to the northeast of Edmonton. So we do see a lot of deaths there, but it's really because a mobile home is just a terrible place to be in the event of a tornado. So if somebody is in a mobile home or by extension, if they're in an RV, uh, you know, in a, or camping, it's really important to not take shelter there to find a well-built structure that you can shelter in to try to ride out the tornado because uh, the chances of surviving a tornado in a mobile home or an RV is quite low. How could I expect to hear about a tornado if I wasn't looking outside? This is one of the, the biggest things that we like to tell people. That it's, it's two parts for tornado. Number one, you have to have a way to receive a tornado alert. 
there are a number of ways to do it. You know, at Environment Canada, we're constantly working on ways to try and spread this message out so people are aware. Uh, and so we have Environment Canada has an app. Uh, we have our weather office website. We issue our tornado warnings on the Alberta Emergency Alert system, which cuts into radio and television, and they have their own app. Which So those are multiple ways you can get it on a phone. Um, the Alert Ready system will now push our notifications, like a tornado warning, to cell phones that are within certain range of a tower. So all of these systems are they're readily available. Um, they're, they're Especially on smartphones, there are multiple ways you can get them. There's also weather radio, which you don't need a, smart for, a smartphone for. Uh, it's just use a radio broadcast, and you tune to whatever area you're in, and then it will automatically turn on if a watch or warning is issued for that area, which is a great way to, to passively get these. You don't have to actively uh, you know, have your phone with you or anything. As long as you have that weather radio, it'll come on when a warning or watch comes out. So you know, multiple ways to get it. It's, you know, that's one thing is to have a way to receive it, but then to know what to do if you do receive it. So... We always tell people to have a, a way to get the warnings and then have a plan to take action. And whether you're at work, at home, or out and about in the summertime, you have to have a plan of action if a tornado occurs. And what should that plan include? Well, it, you know, it's going to be different whether you're at home, at work, or out and about. Uh, it's, you know, it, most people will always plan for if they're going to be at home or at work. Uh, and for both of those, you want to find the part of your building that has as many walls as you can in between you and the outside and as low to the ground as you can. So a lot of times it's a small interior room in the main floor or in the basement. Uh, a lot of times bathrooms are great because they're, they're usually interior rooms, they're small, uh, you know, the piping in the walls can often uh, make it a little bit sturdier. So, you know, for every place you have to think, okay, at work, where would I go? At home, where would I go? Where's the best, the lowest place with the best built structure? It gets a little more difficult in the summertime because I mentioned July is our peak month and it, uh, it tends to be the early evening when we have these tornadoes. And, you know, when it comes to July long weekend, most people aren't going to be at home or at work. They're going to be out camping or out at a party or something like that. And that's where it's really important to be aware of the weather. Uh, we will try to put out severe thunderstorm watches or tornado watches earlier in the day so people can take the time to think, where would I go if severe weather does occur? And that usually means, you know, if you're at a campground, to scope out where is the best built structure. And a lot of times it's a washroom or some kind of hall or, or some kind of building that they have on site. And then to know that if, if you do have um, the radio on and, and uh, an Alberta emergency alert comes on, then that's when you take the time to go to your safe spot uh, and hunker down until the threat passes. What about people in cars or traveling? A car is another place that's not great uh, to be in a tornado because uh, they can easily be lofted by the tornado. So if you can, if you, if you, know, if you're, if you have your radio on, and this is another one, like if, if this one way to be prepared is to even just have a radio on. If, you, if you're at a cell phone range, a radio is a great way because Alberta Emergency Alert will cut through it. Um, you can pull over in your car. Uh, you can either, if it's safe and you have somewhere nearby that has a good structure to try to get there, or else to pull over and to try to find a low-lying area such as a ditch. But keeping in mind that flooding can be a risk with these uh, supercell thunderstorms. So well, it's, it's kind of a, a double-edged sword. You want to find somewhere that's low to the ground and protected, but at the same time, you have to be w wary that there's a potential for flooding because sometimes flooding does kill people in these situations too.
So we talked about the individual preparedness and immediate reactions to tornado. What about organizationally? What can organizations do or maybe events? What can events do to, to plan and prepare for tornado impacts? Yeah, it's, it's critical um, for a lot of these outdoor events uh, and for every organization to have a plan in place. And, you know, it is going to be different for every organization. It's important to know what to do with your people in your building. And I think a lot of times the, the idea that people have is to think, oh, well, you know, we'll put them in our normal gathering spot in case of an emergency. A lot of time that's, you know, a large gym or an amphitheater or some kind of large room because that fits everyone. But typically those are the first things to go in the case of a tornado. Uh, these large expanses of roof tend to collapse pretty readily. So um, for any organization, you have to think for each, almost for every room, where is their nearest place that's really well built? Where is their nearest interior room? Uh, and to have a place. A lot of times organizations will have a plan for a lockdown, uh, an evacuation, or to shelter in place. And this is really, uh, when you're thinking of your shelter in place plan, you want to tailor it towards interior rooms and main floor or basements. When it comes to outdoor uh, outdoor event planning, it's critical that every outdoor event has a plan in place for severe weather. Uh, we do have not just a lot of tornadoes, but a lot of severe thunderstorms in Alberta. And so it's critical to know, you know, are you going to evacuate people? Where is the nearest shelter? And it can be very difficult a lot of times to have these, to have so many people and to have to find a place for them. Either that means if you're going to evacuate, you have to do it with a lot of time, a lot of preparation. Uh, you can't just wait till there's a tornado on your doorstep and then tell people, okay, go find somewhere safe. So you know, a lot of planning has to take place before these events since we are susceptible to tornadoes in Alberta. It sounds like in the case of events, uh, a little bit of forecasting would be helpful as well. Yeah, that's, you know, the longer lead time that we can give people, um, the better. And that's why we really, we start with larger severe thunderstorm watches or tornado watches. Uh, and we do it at a longer time scale so that people can make these preparations and to then enact their plan once the warning comes out. And that's, that's really imperative that people know the difference between a watch and a warning. A watch says that there are, the ingredients are in place that there is the potential for a tornado in this area. It doesn't mean it's occurring, but it means that you have to have a plan to get the warnings if they are issued, and then have a plan to take action should a warning be issued, or should you see the threatening weather approaching you. So that differentiation between a watch and a warning, that sounds really, really important. Yeah, absolutely. That's something we really want to tell people, is to have a way to get them but also to know the difference. Uh, you know, we hate to hear when we put out a watch and people say, oh, I was waiting in my basement for two hours and nothing came. And it's like, ah, shoot, you know, obviously we have to tell people that this difference between a watch and a warning because we don't want people to take action for a watch. We want you to be prepared. You know, I liked what you mentioned there, the sort of tendency for buildings especially to just assign muster points. It's one of my personal pet peeves is when at the beginning of a lecture or something, people say, in the event of emergency, evacuate to the muster point. Uh, have you ever heard of or, or seen people evacuating to outside during a, a tornado? Yeah, we had a really interesting event in, uh, in 2011. Um, that year in June, there was a severe thunderstorm. So I I was off that day, and so as many meteorologists do, I was storm chasing. Uh, so I was southwest of the city near Kalmar, and this uh, severe thunderstorm, a uh, supercell thunderstorm, produced a tornado near Kalmar, and then it was heading towards the city. So at Environment Canada, we issued a tornado warning. And it was really interesting because this, it was the first time anyone in the office could remember where we issued a tornado warning 
in early June. It was early in the day, and school was still in. A lot of people had to enact their tornado emergency plan. And, you know, after the event, we so thankfully we didn't get a tornado in Edmonton that day. The threat was there, but it didn't produce a tornado over the city, thank goodness. But we did hear a lot of, you know, reports for what people did after this event. Uh, and as I mentioned, yeah, most organizations will have a lockdown plan, an evacuation plan, or a shelter in place. And you know, it's great that they have those plans, but sometimes people enacted the wrong ones. Uh, we heard of some organizations that locked their buildings so then there are people milling around outside oh, no. while there's a tornado warning approaching them. Um, others evacuated, so they said, "Okay, you know, everyone can just leave. You know, we're you know be done for the day early." This is about three o'clock, and so you had people waiting for the bus, people walking home, which is again terrible for uh, a tornado warning. And then for the shelter in place, we heard quite a few stories where people just they show, they put everyone into a gymnasium, uh, into a large auditorium, which. We hate to see because, you know, we've seen, I have seen so many tornado videos that have shown these gymnasiums collapsing. Uh, it's usually one of the first places to go is these large expanse roofs on any building. So, you know, we obviously we have a lot of work to do uh, in building awareness of this, and which is why it's so great that you have us on this podcast. Uh, we really want to tell people to have a plan, but that plan has to be specific for a tornado. Uh, and that you want to shelter in place in interior rooms, small rooms with as many walls as you can between you and the outside of the building. Every You can't just have one big place. I mean, you're not going to fit 100 people into one bathroom. So a lot of times uh, you have to have multiple safe spaces within the same building to fit everyone. For those who are building a plan or are interested in tornado preparedness, where can they go to find out more? So one of the best places that we have online is uh, getprepared.gc.ca. And on that website, you can find all sorts of um, preparation for tornadoes, severe thunderstorms, and other events. Uh, so that's one of the, the best places that people can go online. Kyle, thank you so much for joining us for this epic interview. And thank you so much for all the work you do preparing us and warning us about tornadoes. Thanks so much, Grace. And it was really fun. I appreciate you having me. Awesome conversation. That was a, a great episode, and it's so interesting to hear uh, someone who has so much technical inter, uh, you know, expertise in the field uh, talk about tornadoes. Now, it was quite dense, so I'd like to take the opportunity to just kind of pick out some of the key pieces of information for that one, just because it's such an important hazard to know about. So let's start off by identifying the types of tornado again. So we have that supercell tornado, which is the big storm system, and then the landspout tornado. And the thing that I took away from that is that landspout tornadoes are not predictable at all. Yeah, and there's a few other common myths we should know about too. I mean, in terms of prediction, you often hear people talk about green skies sometimes being a, an ominous sign of tornado, and we learned that was not the case. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's no such thing as tornado-exempt geography, so that was another myth. And tornadoes can happen on cooler days as well, even in early February. And they can strike in the same place twice, as we learned. And also we learned about that size does not equal the intensity. So that uh, F5 tornado was actually quite small in size, but very intense. Yeah, the one that really stood out for me was the don't hide under an overpass. And I think this one needs to get out a little bit more because I have seen some disaster literature that still recommends taking shelter under an overpass. And uh, I didn't know that that Venturi effect is what makes it even more dangerous to be under an overpass. Yeah, so it's actually uh, increases the wind uh, velocity. Uh, I have to admit, I was uh, a believer of this myth. So something I learned. 
Um, the other one uh, in terms of common myths is not opening your windows. This one I, I hope you knew, but uh, good to pass on to your community. Uh, a tornado will definitely open your windows for you, <laughs> so you don't need to worry about uh, equalizing pressure. Uh, another debunked myth that mobile homes are not actually tornado magnets. They're just far more vulnerable. One of the interesting comments about the near-miss tornadoes, the ones that we don't even hear about because nobody mm. reports them, I, I thought that was fascinating. It kind of goes back to our basic theory of uh, the social intersections of disaster. If a tornado happens in the middle of nowhere, uh, you know, it's uh, not necessarily a disaster. But uh, it's certainly an eye-opener to hear about how many of those large, uh, um, wide tornadoes that we see. And, and, you know, satellite imaging shows the swath of destruction. So that was quite an eye-opener for me to hear about how many of those tornadoes go completely unreported in Canada. Uh, And I think the other takeaway is is the difference between a watch and a warning. And this is something which would be a great topic to communicate in Emergency Preparedness Week. And I've seen some lovely infographics online that do a good job of of explaining this. Uh, One of them shows a cake and you've got a watch and that's all the ingredients of a cake. And then you have an actual warning when a cake is made and all those ingredients have come together. That is a a delicious analogy. I like it. (laughs) Yeah, important to be specific with our terminology and not confuse them. Uh, realizing that often the interchange there can be a a bit confusing. The last thing I want to chat about is preparing in the right context. And I think this is a perfect discussion for Emergency Preparedness Week. And so often we do, we we prepare for the wrong wrong scenario almost. I I mean, a lot of our preparedness is focused around having 72-hour kits at home or in our car. Uh, When we're preparing for tornadoes, this is peak camping season. This is peak not being at home season. So we really are preparing for the wrong context uh, when it comes to tornadoes. So it's a perfect example of of how preparing just your home or just for this this one sort of scenario doesn't work. Well, that's it for this episode of Epic Podcast. A big thanks to Kyle Fougere for sharing his time and expertise with us on this topic of tornadoes. We'd like to take a quick moment here to acknowledge all of the work that the emergency managers are doing across Canada to serve their communities during COVID. Uh, If you'd like to support your emergency management colleagues and in the spirit of Emergency Preparedness Week, send us a quick voice memo from your phone thanking a particular group or plugging a, a particular message and we'll include it on the show at the end of Emergency Preparedness Week. And there's even a prize which we'll reveal on Twitter shortly. And just before we go, we'd like to thank some of our sponsors. With Pod Power, ATB is making it possible for us to amplify the voices of Albertans and Alberta podcasters. This episode, we're giving a Pod Power shout out to Rural Roots to Climate Solutions. Rural Roots to Climate Solutions is a podcast that dives into agricultural practices that are both good for the farm and good for climate. Hear about the farmers, ranchers, scientists, industry experts, and regular people in Alberta who are leading the way in good land stewardship and reducing agriculture's carbon footprint. Find Rural Roots to Climate Solutions wherever you get your podcasts or at rr2cs.ca. That's rr, the number two, cs.ca. This episode was also brought to you in part by the Alberta Podcast Network, which is powered by ATV, and we are a member of this network, as well as many other amazing podcasts, uh, such as the podcast Let's Find Out, who has prepared a clip for you we can listen to right now. Hi, I'm Chris Shangan Phillips. I host a show called Let's Find Out, where we try to have fun learning about history here in Edmonton. We investigate local myths. Because I think the bridge is so iconic, the fact that they've kind of gone up unrecognized. It's a little bit sad. We do taste tests. It's such a good color. Cheers. 
and right now we're doing a whole season about how humans and nature have shaped each other here in Empton. Grizzly bears used to be largely a prairie species as well. Find us at letsfindoutpodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. You've been listening to an Epic Podcast production, a proud partner of the International Association of Emergency Managers Canada and member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ETV. As always, Epic Podcasts are designed as a supplementary educational tool for the EM professional on the go, and the views and opinions explored during this podcast do not necessarily represent the agencies or organizations that we or our guests may be a part of. For more information about the show or the people on it, visit our website at epicpodcast.ca or follow us on Twitter at the username epic underscore underscore podcast. Stay tuned for more on the next episode of Epic Podcast, current, relevant, Canadian.